Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. And today we're going to go beyond our limits in understanding human pain and suffering and, yes, of course, solutions to such. And to share this process, we're going to talk with an author, Jack Elias, who has written a wonderful book called Finding True Magic. Good morning, Jack Elias. How are you? Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Carol. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, folks, I'm going to assume today, um, we are with Jack Elias, who's a wonderful hypnotherapist, but I'm going to assume today that you are all familiar with hypnotherapy. And if you are not, please continue to listen, and then also go and check out Jack's book, Finding True Magic, Transpersonal Hypnosis and Hypnotherapy slash NLP, which will be a wonderful introduction to you of hypnosis, as well as, Jack, you have a number of YouTubes as well that are all under your name that are also very explanatory about hypnosis as well. But, Jack, now that I have you online, I want to go to the deeper issues of understanding human suffering, the causes as you see it, and the solutions as you see it. So where would you like to start us on that journey of understanding human suffering? Okay, let's let's start with um, the uh, uh, you know it's it, let me start by saying there's a difference between uh, reality and illusion and and a lot of people get confused by the word illusion. Uh, it's very important to understand that our experience is illusory. But that doesn't mean, you know, typically when people hear the word, well, you're imagining that, or that's just an illusion, they think they're supposed to dismiss it and, and be dismissive in a relational way, like not be in relation, like be cold mm. or withdraw. But mm. the, the important thing to understand uh, uh, about the word illusion or the, or, or the important way to use that word as a tool because all words and thoughts are really just tools. And we get no problem when we think that they are uh, uh, the truth that, that we need mm-hmm. to uh, submit to. Uh, so in this case, illusion and illusory simply mean that whatever you experience is not permanent, that mm-hmm. everything changes. And the fact that everything changes is quite obvious to us. Mm-hmm. No one could really question it. that because, because I love because the way you say their... that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm thinking. Oh, we have this delay. So when I say something, you don't know. I love the way you're saying that we have an illusion and we believe it so convincingly that we submit to it, and then organize yeah. our truth around that as if that's what we have to live out. So please continue. Yes. Yes. And the reason we do that is because there's a very subtle belief or attitude that it's not an illusion. Because why would you worship or submit to an illusion? The subtle 
belief or attitude is that it's real and permanent. And the word real, I would uh, use only for that which does not change. And when you use the word real for that which does not change, then you can see that nothing in our experience is real because everything changes. And we suffer because we relate to the illusory as if it were real. In other words, we think that in some way we can hold on to it and isolate it and preserve it. But it's impossible. It all, it, like, you know, it's like uh, trying to squeeze a bubble to keep it. It just pops. Now, it might not pop in an instant like a, a real bubble pops, but it might pop in a year or five years or ten years. The point is the degree to which we invest in telling ourselves that something is solid, which, by the way, is a hypnotic suggestion, and all language is inherently hypnotic. The reason we, the reason we suffer is because we grasp at what is illusory as if it were real, as if it were permanent, when it's actually not permanent, and the second aspect of that is the reason that we can do that is because with language, we uh, get involved with ideas, which are merely suggestions of what's real, and we're literally hypnotized by them. For just a very, on a very simple formula, if I can't have X, life is not worth living. Hmm. So people who... People who suffer with you know horrible despair and wanting to commit suicide they're inside that formula if i can't have x life isn't worth living so they invest in whatever x is x is just their idea and ideas are illusory sensory data is illusory but if you treat it as if it's solid then that suggestion could make sense if i can't have x life is not worth living that can only get you that can only hypnotize you if you think X is permanent, because if you realize that X is temporary, is an illusion, then you can't be tricked by the statement, if I, have X, if I can't have X, life isn't worth living, because you look at X and you go, wait a minute, X is temporary, so I don't have to hang my hat on X. I can hang my hat lots of places. Or why do I have to hang my hat anywhere at all? How about if I just relax and open and experience my own natural state of freedom and joy, which is uh, one aspect of the transpersonal perspective, at least my transpersonal perspective, which is that we are inherently joyful and we suffer because we get very, very uh, thoroughly trained by using the hypnotic quality of our mind when we're growing up particularly before the age of seven, when we have no discerning faculty, our brain is not fully developed yet. We simply can't discern and reject suggestions. So we can be made to believe all kinds of things make us turn against our own joyful, flowing nature, and we learn to restrict it. I, Frankly, I, I tell people that... Uh, the process of becoming socialized and indoctrinated to the degree that it's uh, based on shame and guilt and threats and neglect, that in order to survive that, we learn to do reverse yoga. You know, the word yoga 
means unify, unity. So people, you know, people all, most people know about doing yoga. It's to, it's to connect and unify body and mind. And when you do that, you re-experience the natural flow of our own joyful goodness. But as children, we start out with that. But in order to survive in a crazy-making environment, we learn to do reverse yoga. We learn to, to fragment the connection between our body and mind. We learn to, uh, in, in the worst case, we learn to hate and, and, and vigorously distrust our organic experience of ourself. And we, you know, so we end up living, as, as we often say, we end up living in our head or we end up living in a dissociated way because the environment has uh, taught us that it's not okay to live in the natural goodness of our organic being whether it be the physical being or the emotional being. You're saying that um, joy is almost like you're saying joy is a natural state and anything other than that is not natural. It's it's a configuration of illusions that, you know, for a number of different reasons. But is, isn't it possible that joy is also an illusion? Well, that's it. Well, first of all, we have to remember joy is a word. And it can be used in many different ways, and so you could have self-fulfilling definition. But the way I'm using joy is it's not a state. It's not like I'm happy and now I'm sad and now I'm joyful. It's It's not a changing state, which would be illusory, because all emotional states change. I'm talking about a deeper level of the inherent essential quality of our being that I'm using the word joy to label it. And that, that does not change. You could look at it this way. Um, the, uh, the, our being is, is like the ocean. And the ocean, in terms of a metaphor, uh, the ocean doesn't change. But it's constantly playing with itself. It's constantly waving, billions and billions of waves, all kinds of waves, big waves, little waves, destructive waves, enjoyable waves, but it's all the waves, you know, change, but the essential nature of the ocean doesn't change. And that's, uh, uh, and again, we have idea, because of the hypnotic quality of language, uh, in this case, one of the main components of that hypnotic quality is uh, uh, the form we call a noun. We all have been taught that nouns are things. That's a hypnotic suggestion that something is solid and permanent, like a chair. That's a noun. A chair is a noun. A chair is a thing. But a chair is not an actual, it doesn't have inherent chairness. It's made up of all kinds of components that you could break down farther and farther and farther. Like you could say a chair, there's not an inherent chair because a chair is made up of parts. There's a back, there's a seat, there's the legs. But then you could break those down until you like broke them down into atoms. That it's no, there is no inherent chair. There's just these uh, millions and millions of atoms configured in a certain way to give the illusory sense of chair. And that's the same with waves. You know, there is no such thing as a wave. You can't go to the ocean and say, oh, look at that wave. That's beautiful. I'm going to take it home and scoop it up. That's silly because there are... There are no separate existing waves. There's just the ocean waving. And that's the same with us. We are 
you could say the ocean is the life force, the, is the source of all of manifestation. And all the different forms that we experience are waves of that unchanging source. And that includes us, our bodies, you know, our, our, our thinking. It's all a passing show. And the, 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 uh, the answer to living joyfully is to identify more and more with being the ocean instead of being the waves. Because when you realize you're the ocean, if, a wave, if you lose a wave, it's not a big deal. Because you realize nothing is lost. And you realize you didn't gain anything when it was there either because it, it, the, all the value is in the inherent being. You know, like if we say, I can't live without her, or I can't live without him, we are hypnotizing ourselves and projecting that they have some value that we can't live without. But if we don't hypnotize ourselves that I don't have that inside myself, we, w- we wouldn't suffer that kind of a problem because we forget that nothing that we perceive And just to make sure everybody is clear about this, perception is anything that comes through our senses, our outer senses or our mind sense. And what I mean by our mind sense is that in the same way we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch in the so-called outer world, we can do those things inside with our mind sense. And our mind is also aware of thoughts. So thoughts are objects to our mind sense in the same way that a chair or a a train whistle is an object to our outer senses. And anything that we perceive is a perception. The reason I'm being so particular about this is because people usually talk about their experience. I experience this, I experience that, when they really are talking about their perception. And the reason that's important is because perceptions have no inherent value. They only have the value we give them. You see, in the case of I can't live without him or I can't live without her, if that were true because he or she had inherent value that I couldn't live without, then no one else could live without them either because they would have that inherent value that was necessary for life. But when we say that, I can't live without him or I can't live without her, what we are doing is we are taking the other person, which is a perception. We perceive them. And we don't have that horrible dilemma until we assign them the value. Without them, I can't live. And, but we don't notice that that's our own value. We're in charge of that. We're in charge of creating that whole dynamic. So it's all our own power. It's like, we're, it's like we're going out, it's like we're extending our arm and making a fist and then punching ourselves in the face, but then believing the punch came from somewhere else. We, we are the source of all of our experience. Nobody else is the source of our experience. We, you know, we have the vivid illusion that, oh, he makes me feel so happy, she makes me feel so happy. What we're overlooking is that Whatever they're saying or doing, which is raw perception, as we take it in, we assign value to it. 
by attaching beliefs to it, by relating it to prior similar experience that was beneficial, by uh, uh, mixing in uh, other kinds of associative uh, data that help us to build up a very powerful hypnotic suggestion that I can't live without this, totally missing the fact that we're creating the whole thing. And, and when we have the sense of I can't live without it, I can't breathe, all we're doing is we're squeezing ourselves. It's like, it's very Pavlovian. It's like, see that person squeeze your heart. But instead of noticing you're squeezing your own heart, tell yourself, I can't live without them. It's all totally Jack, while I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm thinking that, yes, most assuredly, perception leads to interpretation. Interpretation leads to um, your own internalized experience of it and and then either you're going to attach to that internalized experience or you're not to move on or be trapped or um, or maybe even revel in your own <laughs> wonderful interpretation uh-huh. as well. Uh-huh. And, and that's, a, and that's yeah. another aspect of it is too. But I, it, I do think that um, I, I know we create our own truth, but I also think we participate in other people's uh, truths as well. So if someone comes into my house and shoots uh, my leg in the kneecap, I will experience pain and fear and will fall to the ground. So I... Yes, yeah, yeah, this is... That, that's not, yeah, this that's is, not a... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, this is, this, is the, this is a common uh, way that people uh, misinterpret the kind of presentation I was just giving. Uh, I'm not at all suggesting that that kind of common sense causality doesn't exist. What all I'm talking about is the story you tell yourself. So, for example, if you got shot in the leg, yes, the, there would be damage. Yes, you, there would be natural impulses to defend yourself or to escape. The, the only thing that can be the problem is the story you tell yourself, the meaning you give to it. So you don't have to give it any meaning to defend yourself or run away. It's, the meaning it boils down to do you stay with direct experience and clarity of mind that discerns and analyzes the fact of being victimized and then using your clarity of mind to make the best choices you can to take care of yourself, whether it be fight or flight or whatever, that's fine. What is extra and what actually cuts down on your ability to meet a challenge or to be in a dynamic relationship, because it doesn't have to be just negative, it could be a positive one, what reduces our ability to respond with a joyful clarity to ongoing perceptions, whether it be other people or whatever, is that we insert an, an unnecessary meaning, we insert a story about what that experience, what that data means about me. And so instead of dealing with victimization, with vigor and clarity of mind, making the best chances, change, uh, uh, choices you can, you divert some of your energy 
into a story of I'm the victim. And then we dwell on that story, I'm the victim, poor me. And that, that's what disables us. Okay. That's you know, a, it, yeah, that's, a, that's much greater clarity in terms of what you're saying, that you're, yeah. you're really talking about the narratives, the stories, the memories, the self-perceptions. And that when we organize all of that into uh, the way we perceive things and then therefore the way we interpret things and therefore the way we coalesce our personalities around and our choices around it, it, it that's, that's the aspect of suffering you're speaking about. Am I, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. It's, the story is in relationship to our idea of who we are, and that's the root of our suffering is that we, we have hypnotic ideas of who we are. Like, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, Betty was prettier than me, Bob was smarter than me. You know, we, as children, again, part of the indoctrination is we get taught to compare ourselves to others, but really what we're comparing is simply activity. You can't perceive selfhood. You know, but we tell ourselves, I see you, you see me, I don't like you. But really what I'm saying, all I can perceive is something you did or said or how you look, which is also activity. So really when I say I don't like you, what I'm really commenting on is I don't like something you said or did. But if we use the word you, we confuse ourselves. We start hypnotizing ourselves and believing that it's about our personhood. And so then it becomes tremendously threatening if somebody can throw a baseball faster than you, you think they're better than me because you've made the mistake of tying your value of your personhood to your ability to do some activity. And then you compare yourself to somebody else and you think, oh, I'm better than them, or you think I'm worse than them if, if they can throw it faster than you. And that is a profound source of suffering, tying value to competency and activity and it's and it's used to create horrific suffering forever right now in the world and forever and and it's so, can uh, i can i say it's it's not that it, yeah. can i just ponder with you that it's not so much that you can say hey you're better than me but it's the shame and embarrassment and then the self-depleted uh response you have to to say, hey, you're better than me. Because if I can say, hey, you're better at me than at this than I am, and and either celebrate that that person's good, and, uh, or strive to be better myself, or um, let that just be the, the statement of fact. I, it sounds to me like yeah, it's yeah, the emotional. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's my point. Is that the example you just gave of your response? Your response was free of shame. In other words, you you kept a healthy inner relationship with yourself enabled you to, to uh, take joy in the other person's ability and to appreciate that what they're doing can inspire you to make your best effort to enjoy uh, uh, accomplishing something. Nowhere in your example of your response was there any reference of assessing your value as a person. And that's what shame is. Shame is when you think that your that your inherent value is flawed or defective 
and then you start grasping at objects or activities, you know, money, praise, fame, whatever, to try to fix that lack of value. And it's totally futile because you, the setup is no matter what you do, it's not going to work. But you have to drive yourself crazy trying. So the example you gave of your response, which was uplifting, is because you're not caught up in that formula of uh, my inherent worth is somehow deficient and it's dependent upon my competencies or what other people think of me, which are just two sides of the same coin. So when you see someone do something that's uh, you know, excellent, you go, wow, and you celebrate them, and you go, wow, now I see a possibility I never even knew existed, and I can, if I choose, I can like, do my best to try to, to pursue that. Whereas someone who thinks they're not good enough and they're in this constant desperation of hiding the fact that they're not good enough from other people if they see people being happy or they see people succeeding, they feel envy, they feel hatred, they feel fear because of this unnecessary hypnotic formula that they're living by. So I'm, Your I'm response is that... absolute... Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. No, go ahead. Your I'm response. saying go ahead. your response is an example of, of what uh, I aspire to... Uh, help people connect with when I work with them, which is that you don't have to hold your breath. You're fine the way you are. It doesn't matter if people are, have done things better than you do. It, none, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. You can directly relax your squeezing of your heart. You, there's no, you don't need to wait. You don't need to accomplish anything. You don't need to have anybody's permission. Just go ahead and let it go and re-experience the fullness of your own being that enables you to celebrate other people and not fear them, that enables you to celebrate yourself, including if you make mistakes, because you know, making a mistake is in the realm of activity, and activity does not threaten the fullness of our being. Activity is just activity, and activity can be assessed and judged and improved upon, but our being can never rightfully be judged. But, you know, and, and again, it's a presupposition that you're saying. I, I'm wondering if at this point it might be a powerful thing to look at the presuppositions that we have about ourselves, about physical pain, addiction, um, yeah. a, a fear of accomplishing sorts of things, and how you apply hypnosis, transpersonal hypnotherapy, NLP, to help people move out of squeezing themselves in those what look to be really authentically complicated circumstances, and yet you're suggesting maybe there's illusion there, or maybe there's a squeezing out, or maybe there's a, a self-appraisal uh, that keeps you stuck or adherent to the suffering, um, the position of suffering. So how will you shift us now into, like, the solution to the suffering? Okay, the solution at its root is to recognize you're not who you think you are. Addiction <laughs> is the most... <laughs> there you go. You just, you just woke up. I'm confused. <laughs> Hold on. I thought you told Hold me on. that I needed to know. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, go for no, it. No, no, no. You're not who you think you are. 
Who you think you are is simply who you think you are. It's, it's so obvious, and yet we constantly miss it because of the hypnotic power of language. It's, language is so seductive, it's like in one instant we can go, oh yeah, and then the next instant we get hypnotized and we might not wake up again for five years. So you're but, suggesting that we are who we opt to be and that, that if we're thinking that we're something in the moment, that yes, we are that because we're thinking we're that, but that doesn't mean we have to adhere to that identity or that state. Yeah, you're never what you think you are. It's all, look at it this way, it's, it's all theater. You're who, you, you know, Carol is an hmm. act, Jack is an act. It's just acting. Hmm. And the more flexible you are, the less you suffer. But if you're invested in this act, if I'm invested in Jack, and Jack is just a word. It's just an auditory sound. It's a useful auditory sound to get my attention. But it's just a label for a a basket full of ideas, if you will. Jack's this, Jack's that, Jack isn't this, Jack isn't. You know, it's just lots of beliefs. So if, if if you make that permanent back to the permanent versus reality versus illusory, if, if, you, if you tell yourself that's permanent, Jack is permanent, and, and make Jack very, uh, you know, solid, then Jack can be easily threatened. He can be easily knocked over. He, can, he has a hard time being joyful because he's so, you know, he's like constant, hyper alert to make sure nothing falls out of the basket or nothing in the basket that he doesn't want exposed gets exposed because he thinks that's me being exposed as opposed to that's just an idea being exposed. And if I have a silly idea, exposes it because then I can upgrade my ideas. That's an example uh-huh. of not having shame. But if you have you shame, yeah. and, you know, if you have shame, an addiction is the highest form of uh, activity uh, uh, indicating the deepest form of shame. You know, addiction mm. is, is, is the most intense expression of self-hatred, of I'm not good enough, and desperately trying to distract and numb. Uh, but it's all because of who you think you are. It's not who you really are. Mm. Because, you know, you, who we are Again, we're just waves on the ocean, but it's like one wave, uh, you know, if waves could talk, you have one wave coming up, you know, a four-foot wave coming nearby, a two-foot wave, and saying, oh, you little shrimp, I'm so much better than you. And then the Mm -hmm. two-foot wave moves around and goes, oh, my God, wherever I go, there's four-foot waves. What's wrong with me? But really, there's, (laughs) it's all just the ocean. You know, the qualities that can be perceived by the senses, you know, tall, short, black, white, pretty, ugly, whatever, those, those have no effect on your value as a being. And we see that in people. You know, there are people who, who have done their work to overcome that. There, there are people who, who are not considered in the category of having a beautiful body, you know, let's say very fat, and yet they're fearless with other people and, and they're... they're Radiance shines through, and you want to be around them because they radiate love, and you totally forget what they look like. But you could have another person that looks pretty much like them, and if their heart is closed off to themselves because they're involved in shame, 
you you don't want to be around those people. And you might think, oh, it's because they're fat. It's not because they're fat. It's because they're radiating their self-hatred, because they're caught up in some idea of self with a powerful hypnotic judgment that myself is not good enough. Beautiful. You know, if you think you're not good enough, you radiate a message, get away from me, don't look at me. You don't know that consciously, but it, it, it's simple logic. You know, if you think you're not good enough, you want to hide what's not good enough. So it's like you're constantly emotionally, energetically saying, don't look at me, don't come close to me, you know, stay away. And also, you're saying that to yourself. So your inner life is, is a torment because, when a, you know, we are inherently pure. It's like moment by moment, breath by breath, heartbeat by heartbeat, the fullness of our joyful being is bursting into existence. But we instantly clamp down on it. We, you know, every moment we're being invited to be joyful. And frankly, that's why we suffer. We don't suffer simply because we have blockages. We suffer because our true self, this, which is this vibrant energy, which is different from who you think you are. You don't, have any, you don't need to have a thought about what you really are. It just is aliveness. The reason we suffer is because our, the aliveness that we truly are, moment by moment, is bursting forth, and we suffer when it hits up against those barriers that we've created. That's why we suffer. We suffer because we're joyful all the time. And the joy, the powerful energy of that joy is bumping into the dams. The dams themselves are not the cause of suffering. It's the fact that we're constantly joyful. That's why we suffer. It's very ironic. That is very, that's a very new perspective. So, so now, Jack, can you, can you do a meditation with us for a few moments that will actually be able to be used by the listeners? that will help yeah. you be able to shift out of self-consciousness thinking self, the yeah. self that thinks I am this, and moves into yeah. just releasing that joy. Yeah. Thanks. Be okay. glad to. Okay. So um, I would like everyone to extend a kind regard to your body by getting into a comfortable position and taking uh, three easy deep breaths with the intention to really encourage your body to relax, to notice that you're in a safe environment and that it's okay to really just let go for these few minutes. You can have back any of your tensions afterwards. It's like leave them on the shelf. You can have them back. So let go of any concern that you can't have them back because we often think we need those things. So you can have them back. So just for a few minutes, let yourself relax. And I'd like you to consider that as I speak to you, that you can allow a relaxation to continue. And you could have an attitude of encouraging every cell of your body and all of your organs to pay attention for your own highest benefit, to take from what I'm saying what would actually benefit you. And the cells of your body can know what that is. 
and your energetic being can know what that is. So just listen and consider. Consider that who you think you are, which is whatever your name is, that who you think you are, you're not deciding to be able to hear me right now. You're not deciding to maintain your ability to understand the English language day by day. You're not deciding to take the oxygen out of the air in your lungs and deliver it to every single one of your about six trillion cells. You're not in charge of that. You're not running that show. You're not deciding to maintain your metabolism or to digest your food. And whatever sensations you've been having these few minutes, you didn't decide to create them or to have them. Whatever thoughts and memories have been coming through your mind, you don't choose to maintain them or choose to sequence how all your thoughts come into awareness. So I'd like you go even more profoundly because you recognize that everything is a gift, that life is giving you life right now. This is not a technique. This is beyond technique. This is to simply, with humility, feel the gift of life breath by breath. That is the source of the answers that you need is to soften in the presence of that intelligent power that gives you life breath by breath right now and from now on. And not only does it give you life, but the quality of that life is that it's exuberant. It's inherently exuberant and it's inherently free you have, as the person you think you are, you have the sense of being able to make choices. And we do make choices. We do have the ability to act and to have a sense of being the doer. But that sense of being the doer is part of the gift. We're not the real doer. We, are, we have the illusion of being the doer. But it's, it has its own integrity. It's not to be dismissed, but it's to, be, it's to develop awareness, have a constant awareness that you're living in the gift of life, a gift of the intelligence to make a choice, a gift of life force and hand-eye coordination to make an action in accordance with that choice, that that gives you the sense of, I did that. But it's all in the context of every aspect of your doership is really a gift and to relax and let that gift become more prominent in your awareness because it's full of wisdom, it's full of clarity, it's full of healing energy, it's full of joy. And it's undeniable. In fact, if you're having objections now, if you think there's something you can deny, Just take a moment and recognize you couldn't even think your objections 
if you weren't being given the gift of life, if you weren't being given the gift of intelligence that you're relying upon and the logic you're relying upon to form an objection. So recognize it's impossible to refute this essential, obvious, direct experience. You are being given the gift of life. Everything that you experience comes from first being given that gift. So relax in the presence of that source. You don't need to have a name for it. You don't need to have a big philosophy for it. Stay with the simple direct experience of being given the gift of life moment by moment, being aware that you're aware and being aware of whatever comes into your awareness, whether it be thoughts or sensations or memories, whatever, that it's all happening in the spaciousness of being given the gift of life. Let yourself have this more and more. You can do this. You can, you can take an instant, countless times during the day, to just remind yourself in the middle of whatever you're doing that you're in the middle of this gift and you can get better and better at kind of just softening, releasing any squeezing you're doing in your body and accept the gift. And then beyond that, of the desperate squeezing on having to exist as the person you think you are versus living easily in a relaxed way in this body-mind because you're aware that it is just a temporary vehicle and that your well-being does not depend on it. This is the most challenging hypnotic trance there is. The the identification with the body-mind as being the source of our well-being. It's more, it's like our horse that we ride. And you can be easy in the saddle. It's not really fun to ride a horse if you're tense and grasping at the reins and gritting your teeth. And it doesn't help. The nature of things is the nature of things. It doesn't help to refute it by tensing up and blocking your awareness that even in your tensing, even in your struggle, that you couldn't do your struggle if you weren't first being given the gift of life. So this giver is totally reliable. That which is giving you life moment by moment is not like your withholding parents, if you had withholding parents. It's not like abusive parents, if you had abusive parents, or judgmental parents. It does not judge you. It does not withdraw its support, ever. So relax and just be willing to explore the possibility that you are constantly loved that you are constantly birthed into existence, which is a a very simple, direct experience, moment by moment, and doesn't require a lot of fancy ideas. And you can invite the giver of this gift. Again, you don't need to have a name. You don't even need to have fancy ideas. Just feel it. Feel that you're being given the gift of life moment by moment, 
you're being given the gift of being able to hear me and understand the English language. Invite, give your permission and invite that source to he- heal you, to make it easier and easier for you to release all unnecessary squeezing, to make it easier and easier for you to be sensitive, resensitized to your natural inner guidance that always points you in the right direction. Beautiful, Jack. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the the coming out of that, I'm wondering if you can follow up with, now let's say someone's in physical pain. What would you yeah. hypnotize them to to be able to, you, you've, you've shifted us in our consciousness. What, what would you say to the person in physical pain? Um, physical pain is uh, very often because of uh, a consequence of emotional uh, conflict, inner squeezing. So uh, very often physical pain can be dramatically eliminated or shifted in a very quick way. And it can be done metaphorically. It can be done with direct suggestion. It can be done by talking to the pain. There's all kinds of things you could do. Like you could, you could ask the pain or have a sense that you're asking the source of the pain. You don't have to know the source. Just have the attitude, I'm communicating with the source of this pain, and ask, what are you trying to accomplish by manifesting in this way? And then see what answer comes. Or you could ask, what is it that you need? See what answer comes. So in dialoguing in that way, often people release pain because they get to what is the root, what's the root dilemma, and then they can release that root dilemma. Another way can be metaphorical. For example, you visualize the pain. Uh, Let's say you have a, a headache, and you visualize that it has some shape. So let's say it's kind of a three-dimensional kind of a blob. Uh, but it, people can have all kinds of shapes. I'm just, this is just one. This is not the correct one. This is just an example. And then you have it have a color. And then you tell the person to associate the, the brightness of the color and the size of the shape uh, with the intensity of the paint. And then you ask them, now I want you to imagine you have a rheostat, and I want you to turn the rheostat, uh, and I want you to turn it up so that the shape gets bigger, the, the light gets brighter, and the pain gets more intense. And now, and then you just like wait a second or two for them to do that, and they say, okay, now slowly start turning the rheostat the other way. And watch as the shape gets smaller, the light gets dimmer, keep turning it, the shape is getting smaller and smaller, dimmer and dimmer, smaller and smaller, dimmer and dimmer, and now it's just a little dot, and now the rheostat clicks off, you hear the click off, and that little dot disappears. Very, very high percentage of the time, the pain will be gone. So that's using a, a metaphor, imagery. Hmm. And that's because our subconscious, the language of our subconscious mind is metaphor. It is theatrical. I mean, just... All you have to do is think about your dreams. I mean, you're, when you're dreaming, you're not reading a book. I mean, you're in a story, you know. Things are happening, and there's lots of symbols and metaphors. That's the language of our subconscious. So that's why 
such a silly, somebody might say, oh, well, that's just silly, that's ridiculous. How could that help? Well, it's like that's, that is what helps because that is the language of our subconscious mind and everything is created at the subconscious level. And when we're suffering, it's because our subconscious mind has gotten uh, you know, a bad program inserted in it that's overridden its prime directive, which is to make us flourish. And you know, basically it's gotten a program stuck in there that says, no, it's wrong to flourish, you have to do this. And then you, you know, some kind of suffering starts happening. Oh, I'm just thinking about all the different people responding and saying, "Well, how about the pain when I've uh, sliced my finger after cooking or while cooking, or how about the pain?" You know, like, you know, the pain well, of so again, pain. so you know, it's, now, it's, it's well, very interesting. yeah, there's several things. First of all. Uh, it's absolutely been demonstrated. It's been used a lot by uh, 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 emergency people. Is that when a person is in uh, has an acute situation, they're highly suggestible. So someone could like have have their foot cut off, and if the emergency person is there and has some training, they and can get their focus, they can actually suggest to them stop the bleeding and stop the pain, and it will stop. We have tremendous ability to create anesthesia and change bodily functions. But that, you know, that's, not, that's not the typical ordinary thing that people do when they're in their kitchen and they slice their finger. Uh, in that case, I'd say you know, if, if you had the ability, you could. you could. You could just like look at it, focus on it, and imagine the vessels closing and and they would stop bleeding, and you could imagine the pain going away. You can imagine uh, often like if people touch their finger to a hot stove, if they immediately, instead of freaking out, if they immediately communicate to their finger and visualize it being healed and surrounded by light or whatever, they won't get a blister. So you can interrupt those kinds of uh, 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 processes that we think uh, are absolute and have to be there. But in a more ordinary way, if you slice your finger, it goes back to our other first example. You can observe the damage and you can treat the damage with a clear mind and an efficient manner versus diverting and wasting some of your energy by freaking out around the idea of, look what happened to me. Oh my, look what happened to me, you know, which is victimizing yourself. And making oneself a victim is never required. Yes, you can experience being victimized. This body can be victimized. But having the body be victimized or, or harmed in some impersonal way, it never requires creating the hypnotic trance inside of I'm a victim. Do you have, um, Jack, some tools that when people can say, you know, I think I'm getting myself, I'm, create, I'm creating myself, I'm thinking myself into existence, I'm thinking the pain into existence or making it worse, or, uh, or I'm thinking a low self-esteem, or I'm thinking addiction, or I'm, I'm bringing these things and I'm, I'm making them solidly part of my identity. Do you have ways for people... Uh, tools where people can go, wait a minute, what am I thinking into existence? I don't even know I'm thinking into existence that's actually yeah. hampering me pervasively. Yeah. How, how do people get to yeah. that point? 
Well, it's, it's again, it's uh, everything you just said, you were asking questions. Questions are inquiries. So the, the, essential, the essential ability that you want to cultivate is the ability to inquire and to inquire uh, in a persevering way and with interest, with appreciation, and so that you can go deeper and deeper. For example, what do I have to believe to be having this emotion right now? Because emotions are our response to the story we tell ourselves. And the stories we tell ourselves have in, embedded in them the beliefs that engage us in them. So if you're having an emotional response, instead of being tricked into thinking this is real, because remember, nothing is real. Real means never changes. Obviously, emotions change, so they're not real. They're illusory, but that doesn't mean they're not powerful. Remember, I said at the beginning, illusion doesn't mean you dismiss it or disregard it. It just means you realize that you're relating in a dance with energy that's moving. And so with an emotion, if you practice recalling that the emotion is a byproduct of your response to a story you're telling yourself, and probably unconsciously, then you make the effort to bring it into consciousness. And an easy way to do that with practice is, what do I have to believe right now to be having this emotion? You know, what do I have to be holding on to to have this emotion? What do do I have to be unwilling to let go of in order to have this emotion? Or... Mm -hmm. What would, what would it be like if I didn't have this emotion? Hmm. These are very simple and yet very powerful tools. I can't emphasize uh, enough the power of inquiry, and, and especially if it's from a transpersonal orientation. Because, again, language is inherently hypnotic, so it's very easy to get... Uh, put a box around things, including inquiry, and, and not realize that you stop yourself because you come up against a self-imposed barrier that you don't even know is there consciously. Mm-hmm. So one aspect of what I mean by transpersonal is it's completely open. There are, no, there are no boundaries. There are no beliefs to create any boundaries. Okay. It's like... Uh, in, a, in a functional way, it means that you develop the ability to maintain an awareness that thoughts are transparent, that, they're, that they are illusory, that you don't have to be hypnotized by them. But you can engage them. You can dance with them. You can play with them. Hmm. So you can dance with anger. You can dance with self-esteem problems or addiction. Or you Absolutely. can dance with Absolutely. physical pain and yeah. shame and all those sorts of things. But let's just uh, embrace them only as a dance, not as a definition of self. Yeah, because definition means that they're solid and real, and they're not. They're all temporary, and they all are, they all have their causes. And and the causes of uh, blockages and neuroses and addictions and suffering, the causes of those things are negative hypnotic suggestions, limiting beliefs. And we're not required to have them. They got imposed upon us when we couldn't reject them, when we were little, for the most part. Um, how do people contact you? Because I'm certain that part of the work that you do with people uh, is 
to make these inquiries, to ask them about their core yeah. beliefs, so the conflicts associated yeah. or where perception gets turned into translation and, and interpretation and the freedom of such by way of these tools. So how do people contact you, Jack, when they want to be able to experience what you have to offer? Um, okay, well, um, I have a website. It's called FindingTrueMagic.com. And Finding True Magic is the name of my book. So FindingTrueMagic.com. Uh, I, for 26 years, I've been training and certifying people as transpersonal hypnotherapists. And as well, for 26 years, I have a, a private practice. I work with people uh, in person and all over the world by phone or by Skype. I get equally good results by phone or Skype as I do in person. So I'd be happy to work with anybody anywhere. I have uh, all kinds of training programs. And uh, you mentioned that in the beginning that possibly people here are already hypnotherapists. I do mentorship and supervision and advanced training for uh, tailored for people who are already hypnotherapists. Uh, so you can, you can uh, get me at my website. Uh, my email is there, uh, jack at findingtruemagic.com. Uh, phone number 206-783-1838. That's also there. Huh. And um, I also have a blog, and I have a free newsletter. You can subscribe to both of those. And as Carol said, I also I have a lot of YouTube clips you can check out. I have uh, CD programs, DVD programs. So it's, it's all you can check it all out at the website. As we um, as we contemplate that we're coming to the end of our program, you have a lot to offer, and so I wanted to select these dimensions of what it was you shared. Are there other dimensions that in our discussion you just wish you'd have a chance to say, clarify, close out with, encourage people with? What would you like to oh, add? Oh, yeah, the, w- there would be lots of elaborations uh, that came from what we were talking about, kind of the essential things we're talking about. Mainly, I would encourage everyone to come to what's the closest at hand, which is it might seem simple and boring. Don't be tricked by that kind of hypnotic suggestion that this is boring Hmm. or what's the point. Practice. uh, That's why humility and gratitude are essential. Cultivate the humility and gratitude to recapture a genuine felt sense of appreciation for every breath, for every heartbeat, for every moment of experience. Even if it's negative experience, the greater truth is just the fact that you're experiencing. And to learn to stay connected to the, to the ground of being, so to speak. And then from there, everything else gets easy. And I'll be happy to clarify this for anyone uh, who wants to train with me or work with me as a client or whatever.